Welcome to this week's episode of Faster Masters Rowing Radio. Grab a seat at the table as Masters Rowing Coaches Marlene Royal and Rebecca Caro share their biggest secrets on how to unleash your hidden potential and plot a new course for real results on the water and off. Now, on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where today we are tackling the giant issue of balance in all its forms. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our Faster Masters Rowing Radio audience. Nice to be here today. It is indeed. And I want to just say I have a fun picture as my background. This is my old rowing coach from the UK who has gone to coach in the Caribbean. And there he is with Catherine D'Souza, who is one of the Faster Masters students wearing her singlet, which is so nice. And Catherine sent me that email saying, look who I ran into. He's my coach. Awesome. That is so cool. It is pretty nice, actually. Yeah. So today we'd like to announce that the sponsor of the podcast today is our rowing magazine. If you're a master's rower and you like the sport and you want to learn a little bit more about different aspects of it through the lens of being a master, not a youth rower or a competitive scholastic rower, you need the Faster Masters magazine. It's published once a month. It's for sale on our website, and it includes articles on lifestyle, on rowing technique, on physiology, and a bonus every month. So it's four articles guaranteed, plus at any one time you get last month's as well as the current month's magazine. So if you sign up now in January, you'll also be getting December's articles. And this is a must for anyone who's enjoying the sport. If you don't need a training program, and you all know that we sell training programs, that's completely cool. You definitely should be buying the Masters Rowing magazine. So go onto the website, click through to our courses, our programs page, and you will find the magazine there. If you don't like it within 14 days, we'll give you your money back 100% guarantee, no questions asked. Now on with the show. I've pulled out two bits of balance, Marlene. Mm-hmm. The first bit is balance as you age. And the second bit I'd like to talk about is balance in the boat. So can you kick us off with balance as you age? Sure. We're, we're sort of going individual and then we're going to take it sport specific. So balance, balance does change with age. Um, changes to our balance typically start about age 50. And part of the reason why our balance starts to change is because our muscular skeletal system also starts to change around that point. So there is some natural loss of muscle mass that starts to happen after 50 as we age for men and, and women. And losing some of that muscle mass can lead to a loss of balance because it can affect your coordination. It can affect the way you walk. Um, There are also processes that in your neuromuscular system and your, your system of coordination that can change with age that affects how you, how you perceive 
certain types of sensory input. So that could be hearing, that could be balance, that could be vision, um, and all of these things that how your muscles communicate through their nerves to your central nervous system, which is uh, your central nervous system is comprised of your brain and your spinal cord and your peripheral nervous system is from the nerves that go out of your, your spinal nerves, which go to innervate the muscles, which, which help us move. And the, the brain, of course, is responsible for uh, smooth, coordinated movement. And our balance is part of that central nervous system. So the good news is balance can be trained and maintained. You know, first of all, one of the key things to, um, you know, slowing down a loss of balance is to maintain your muscles in good con condition and maintain good muscular skeletal strength. So that's kind of a, an underlying matrix of preserving your balance. Um, if you notice changes in your balance, and you know what, even if you don't notice changes in your balance, these things are really good to do anyway on a daily basis. Um, first, we'll talk about uh, standing balance, and we're, we're going to talk about sitting balance. Um, standing balance, obviously, you're on your feet and is more challenging, say, than sitting balance. And if you notice sometimes you, you, when you get up out of a chair, you, you feel a little wobble, or if you stand on one leg, you don't feel really stable. This is something that you want to work on. So improving, improving your standing balance, a really good exercise is standing on one foot and seeing how long you can stand, just stand on one foot, just lifting the other foot off the ground. See how you can, can how long can you stand on one foot? And, you know, really plant your foot to the to the floor and, and hold your weight on one foot and stay balanced. A good way to integrate this into your everyday rowing training is when you start to warm up before you before you row or you, you erg, stand on one leg. And like if you stand on your left leg, lift your right leg off off the floor and do ankle circles. 10 in one direction and then change in 10 in the other direction and then switch legs stand on the right leg and then lift the left leg up and do ankle circles in one direction 10 times in another direction 10 times that is a great way to work on your standing balance just integrating it into your workout um, another exercise is is like a toe touch they call it toe touching a star so you you stand in one place and you touch your toe, your opposite leg, your toe out in front of you, and then you make a half circle all the way around until you're tapping your toe behind you, and then you come back up again, and then you balance on the other leg, and you you toe tap in a circle, almost like making a star pattern. That, that That's a great way, as well as like yoga positions, like the tree, um, walking on a fictitious balance beam, or putting a two by four on the floor and walk, practice walking on the two by four at home or in your gym. And uh, Tai Chi and yoga can be really helpful for, for working on balance issues as well. Um, I personally absolutely love yoga for exactly that. What I notice is the little muscles in my feet between the tendons get quite weak quite quickly. Mm -hmm. They also get quite strong quite quickly when you train them. 
Yes. And, and that that is something, honestly, with rowers. I mean, there are rowers who are who are great walkers and runners, but there are rowers who don't like to walk and don't like to run. And as a result, they don't spend a lot of time on their feet. And that is certainly an important issue for um, masters rowers is, you know, you need to be on your feet and, and having strong muscles in your feet is really also an element of, of balance. Uh, but the other the other type of balance is sitting balance. Okay, we're pretty familiar with sitting balance as rowers. Um, but how do you work on that in land? I think a, there there are two really fun, easy ways to work on improving your sitting balance on land. The first way is on a physio ball or or a Swiss ball in the gym, or you might have one at home. If you're using a physio ball. The important thing is to make sure that you're using a ball that's the correct size for you because they do come in different sizes as do master's rowers. Um, so when you when the ball's inflated, when you sit on a physio ball, you want to make sure that you're able to sit with your hips at 90 degrees and your knees at 90 degrees. It's important that the ball isn't too big or too small because you're not going to be in the, the right position then. And then what you want to do is first, you know, just wiggle your hips and just kind of see, can you know, can you sit on the ball in the first place, but with your feet planted on the floor. The next step is sit on the ball and then just stretch your stretch your arms out straight to both sides so that you're just sitting on your hips and, you know, kind of rock around a little bit, move your pelvis a little bit, just see, see what that feels like. And then keeping your arms in a T position straight out to the side, left leg on the floor, Lift your right leg and now sit on the ball with one leg extended, okay? So now you've just got one foot on the floor and see if that challenges your balance, okay? If it does, you might have to pra you know, practice that a little bit, just holding, I don't know, maybe 10, 10, 15 seconds, whatever you're comfortable. But practice that a few times on each leg and get comfortable um, arms out at a T. When you're comfortable doing that, then start to practice raising both legs off the floor and just trying to balance for a couple seconds at first and see if you see if you can do that. So your, your arms are out at a T and you lift one leg up, get a balanced position, and then try to lift the other leg up so that both legs are extended and see if you can balance for a few seconds. It's it's pretty challenging, but it can it can definitely be done. Um, so that's a great way, I think, to work on balance that you can then apply to the boat. Okay. So, cause you're, you're going to start getting some proprioception in, in your hips and pelvis. And the other way is what I call doing a, a V sit and a, a V it's not really a sit up, but balance, balance on your, like sit on the floor and then, and then sit up off the floor and then also raise your legs up. So you're in a V position and you're kind of balancing on your sit bones. And just see if you can hold that position and then go back down and then see if you can come up again and just, you know, body off the floor, legs off the floor, kind of like you're making a V, but you're sitting, you're balancing on your sit bones. That's another really good way to work a little bit of core strength and also kind of work on how you're balancing um, on your sit bones. Is that kind of like a jackknife where yeah, you bring exactly. both yes. the body up together? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's a controlled movement. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really, you're not really doing repetitions. You know, you can just sort of get in that position and just kind of, you know, isometrically just try to hold that position for, say, 30 seconds and then go back down. Because because the focus isn't so much the in this particular case, um, it's not so much the core strength, but but can you balance, you know, can you balance in that position? That's great. Really good to know. Well, I look forward to heading off to those. Now, <laughs> we also want to cover how to balance a boat. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a lead on this because the question came to me from Ian Bardrick. Hi, Ian. Hope you're listening. If you are, you can put remarks in the comments below. Ian specifically asked about balancing a quad, but these principles apply to any rowing boat, sweep or sculling. My view about balancing boats is that fundamentally it's about aligning two, four, eight people to do the same thing simultaneously. And the best way to do that is to start from the beginning of core principles. I would always start by saying, are we set up correctly at the finish? Have everyone, if you're the coach or if you're in a coxis boat and you're the bow seat or even the stroke seat, you can take photo, get someone to take a photo from the bank. Sit in the finished position. Are your blades parallel? Are your body angles identical? Are you all drawing the handle or handles to the same height? Can you all sit with pressure on your feet in that finished position? So are you correctly adjusted for the boat that you're rowing? If you're not, it makes it a bit more challenging to achieve balance in a boat. So that's my starting point is the setup. The second bit to balancing a boat is about ensuring that the crew can time the blade entry and exit at the same time. Now, we all know masters crews can frequently have people with very different heights. So this may mean some compromises are needed in the taller people, perhaps shortening up a tiny bit. The shorter people may be rocking forwards a bit more. Yes, that means that your bodies may not be in perfect alignment, but it might achieve slightly more length forward. I always like to have a distinct uh, body rock forward separate from the arm straightening so that when you roll forwards and you get to the placement at the catch, you are at a point where nothing else needs to move except to start driving your legs back. So getting the inner and out of the water at the same time is the second thing. And there are drills that you can do to practice that. The third thing and where the finesse begins to come in is how you are handling the oars. And basically handling the oars is all about controlling them when they are out of the water. You may notice that even working with very beginner newcomers to the sport, when the oars are in the water, generally the boat is balanced and the lack of balance tends to come when the oars are out of the water. In my view, this is because the athletes have not sufficiently learned two of the three key concepts which we teach in the sculling intensive course. If anyone's interested in learning this for themselves, just go sign up for sculling intensive and you get not only the explanation of what it is, why it's important 
and also drills and skills exercises to train yourself in how to do it. But the two concepts that are particularly important for balancing a quad, firstly is weight in the hand, and the second is weight onto the feet. And being able to all press your handles down at the release point with the same amount of energy so that they, if you're sculling, both oars come out at the same time and they both come to the same height above the water surface. If you're in sweep, each side taps their handle down and then gets to the high balance feathered position with their arms extended where the oars are both aligned perfectly at the same height over the water surface. So that takes quite a lot of, of training. And then secondly, arriving at the weight on the feet position on the recovery at exactly the same time. The more you can do those two things together and at the same, with the same amount of, of effort and energy and control the handle throughout the recovery so that the oars are high above the water and that they are all putting equal pressure laterally into the pins. That is how I believe you balance the quad. Now, Ian, I don't know if I fully answered your question, but if you video your crew and send it in, I'll happily you know, do a video analysis. You can buy that on the R Courses page as well and then run through it with you um, about what, what it is that you might want to work on next for your crew. Marlene, what have I omitted in terms of boat balance? I think very good, very good coverage. And may I add um, kind of transitioning land to boat? Um, you know, we know that if if one starts to experience balance issues, it can make it challenging getting in and out of the boat at the dock. Um, so one exercise besides our one-legged exercises that can be quite helpful it's a little bit of a strengthening exercise but practicing some body weight squats practicing squatting on one leg or sometimes they call that a pistol squat um you can still you can hold on to a railing or you can hold on to trx straps but kind of if if that's a movement that's required for you to get in and out of your boat um even just stepping in the boat before your other boat, your other foot follows into the boat. Um, that is also a way to bridge between what you've been working on land, what you need to do from the dock to then get into the quad. So, um, you know, if that's something difficult or, you know, perhaps there, there's been a knee replacement or hip replacement or something that affects that mobility, you know, looking at that strength issue is, is something that's important. I have to do that particular exercise myself because I have a, a knee and I actually train it on land standing mm -hmm. up out of a hard chair. So I sit on a hard chair with a cushion on it. So it, it's reasonably high. Again, knees at 90 degrees if you can. Um, if you can't, you need to sit higher and then practice standing up on one leg 10 times and then on the other leg 10 times. And it's, a, you know, you don't need to carry any extra weights until you're no. proficient, but it's a very useful drill. Yeah, well, that, that that's a pretty challenging, that's a pretty challenging exercise. So that's, you can work on it that way. And then also like 
if, if you work on it, um, like if you use the TRX or actually you're just supporting yourself something, you can also work on it um, focusing on the lowering motion. So Rebecca's, yes. her exercise is focusing on the concentric motion, getting up out of that chair. And then you can also get, a, you know, if you're not strong enough to do that, then you shift to an eccentric motion, which is when when the muscle is low, you're lowering the weight or you're lengthening the muscle. And generally, you can strengthen a muscle muscle eccentrically more first before you strengthen it concentrically. So if you're starting from a point where that's really difficult, just working on the lowering motion would, would be very, lowering yourself to the chair on one leg would be a very good exercise. And then the next exactly. step would be to get out of the chair. Yeah. And you'll, you know, put a cushion there. So you get a soft landing. The worst that happens is you sit down with a bit of a bump, but you know, you're not <laughs> going to harm yourself. No. Here's a good question from a listener. I never had a balance problem in a double, but a single is another world. So Marlene, what happens in a double skull that makes people find it easier to balance than a single? <laughs> they let their partner put their oars on the water. No, I, I'm joking. <laughs> um, well, the boat is a little bit bigger. Okay, the boat's bigger. Perhaps it, it's, you know, it's a little wider. So it's going to give you a bit more surface area than a single. A single is, you know, considerably skinnier. And, and the, the, you know, if the beam is more narrow, the boat is going to be more, much more sensitive. And it also could have a, a you know, it also could depend on the actual shape of the hull. You know, some boats have a little bit flatter bottom, which provide a little bit more stability than boats that might have a more V-shaped or more pointy bottom. Um, but, you know, the single is just, a, it's a lot, it's a smaller boat. It's a lot more sensitive. Um, you know, I, th I think, uh, you know, bigger boats, we, we tend to to think they're easier to balance, but to row it really well, I think you have to do the same things. Yeah, I think you find that your movements are being masked by the movements of the other people in the boat. And so you're less conscious of your own impact, of what you are doing affecting the balance. Secondly, mm -hmm. the other people could be balancing the boat for you and you're unaware and you're rowing blissfully, unaware that someone else is actually holding the set for you. And you can do that quite easily in a single if you're rowing with someone who is a skillful rower a bit more skilled than yourself they are probably taking some of the load of making the boat balance or not wobble quite so much it may not be you know perfectly trim yes absolutely i i know that in the summertime you know i love to do lessons with people in the double but i do a lot of work keeping the boat balanced that i i think it's exactly that sitting in the bow seat you we we the more experienced can generally follow them a bit better um but but we're doing a lot of work to keep the to keep the boat balanced particularly if their blade work isn't really up to par you know you've got to expect the unexpected so i think the inverse of that is if someone's had a good outing like that work rowing with someone more experienced they relax they get much more confident in their own movements and then when they go into a boat with someone of similar experience to themselves and it feels like it's all over the place and they can't hold any consistency in their stroke, makes people more tense, more nervous. And that then tension kills boat speed and it definitely kills balance as well. It's really hard to row well 
if you've got a tight grip on the handles, if you've got tight shoulders, if you're not relaxing on the recovery. Yeah, oh, I agree. And I, I think that's why the, the weight in the hands is such a key element for balance on the recovery because it also helps you actively relax because you, you, you're not gripping the oar and you're keeping your weight in the right place, which, which then has a positive effect on the balance. I'm teaching a singles class at the moment and I came away from the lesson today and, and was speaking to um, an experienced rower and I said, so how is it when I've done all the rowing that I've done and you start learning in a four, an eight or a quad and no one actually teaches you about weight in the hand and then when you get into a single, you have to learn it, you're going to learn to skull correctly. Why is that? And they said, well, it's interesting, isn't it? You can basically let someone row regularly for about two years and they'll probably work it out for themselves. But actually, wouldn't it be better to teach them how to do it in the first six months of oh, their rowing? Yeah, I mean, save time. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. It is one of the differences between learning to row as an adult and a young person is that you row less frequently. When, when we learned to row, we rowed you know, between four and six times a week as novices. Mm -hmm. And so we had a lot of instruction on a regular basis with very few days in between when we weren't rowing. And so you learn quicker because you're getting more lessons. But to get six lessons in as a master, that might be two and a half to three weeks. Yes, to cover the same you know, pathway. And I was saying that I today I taught three separate drills. And I said, ideally... I would only have done one per lesson and that would have been three separate lessons and each would have built on the other. But I feel like I'm pushed to being in a bit of a rush because I want them to learn it, mm -hmm. but there isn't enough time for them both to learn it and to practice it extensively. Because I like people to do a drill three times in an outing so that they really get familiar with it, you know, before you teach the next one. So it's a bit of a compromise. Mm. But I think once they understand how to practice it, they'll be able to practice it on their own. You know, that the key is making sure that they come away with knowing how to repeat that. That is definitely key. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that. And, uh, oh, here's a... <laughs> Re relaxation comes from red wine and scotch. Yeah, yes, of course yes, it yes. does. <laughs> and anyone can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's in your water bottle? <laughs> That would be quite scary. <laughs> so this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you're part of the Rowing Chat Podcast Network, please tell your rowing friends about the show. And if you've learned just one helpful thing from today's episode, please consider supporting the show for as little as $1 per month by visiting FasterMastersRowing.com forward slash podcast.